If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Listeners, originally this recording was scheduled for November. However, our guest today is almost as big of a fan of baseball as he is of nonprofits. So there is no way that I could blame him for missing our first recording session to watch the Nationals, yes, the Nationals, shockingly win the World Series. Nevertheless, Evan Pecora is with us today. Whether your organization is looking to fill a critical position or you're interviewing for your very next job, I highly recommend you tune in for today's show to listen and learn from our guest, Evan Pecora. Evan is an expert on interview practices, change management, and project management recruiting. Over his 12 years of experience working in the government and nonprofit sectors, he has built internal practice recruiting processes for BDO public sector, and now manages cross-functional teams as the Senior Director of Change Management for Acumen Solutions. In his book, and really you got to get this book, Case in Point, he shares his knowledge and passion for case interviews. Those are interviews that use case studies and for problem solving for the public sector. While this book, I'll be frank, is primarily written for undergraduate and graduate students preparing interviews with consulting firms like McKenzie and Accenture, I believe there are so many takeaways for you if you're in the nonprofit sector. But I'm not going to spoil this too much when we can hear it from Evan himself. Hey, Evan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here with you, uh, calling in from Washington, D.C., and I uh, also want to thank you for the promotion as well, because I'm actually a senior manager, but uh, hopefully someday I will be able to uh, achieve senior director status. So thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Hey, no worries. Uh, promotions are easy for me to give. Now, <laughs> I think probably the best place for us to start is how you initially became interested in the case study interview. Great. Yeah. So as an MBA student at Georgetown's McDonough School of Business, I was preparing for the government and nonprofit sector and specifically was preparing for government and nonprofit consulting. 
And we had a pretty extensive case interview process. And for those who aren't aware of like what a case interview is, it's really like a simulated experience. So you're given a business problem or a business challenge, and you're supposed to kind of work backwards, work collaboratively with the interviewer to try to solve that. And every time you get a little bit more, inter- every time you get a little bit more information, you're supposed to factor that information into your discussion. You're supposed to factor that into your structure. And typically these, these, these interviews can be pretty high pressure, 30 to 45 minutes. And ultimately you're, you're going to give a, a recommendation. So as I was learning about what case interviews are uh, going through my MBA and the extensive program that Georgetown has, I was finding that there weren't a lot of resources available for public sector and nonprofit. And as someone who wanted to go into that industry, it was challenging really to put together resources. And so what I started doing, and this was really a labor of love, and really what this book was, was what I wish I had told my younger self, uh, you know, 12, 12 or so years uh, ago, here are resources, here are tips, here are frameworks, here are things that apply to some to the government and nonprofit sector, and they will help you whether you're entering as a government employee, whether you're entering as a nonprofit employee, or as a consultant, it will prepare you for that role. And so part of what I really loved about this book, and, and I, as I kind of said in the intro, I think a lot of our listeners are maybe not going to identify with wanting to be a consultant at Accenture, but you give such great tips and ideas for interviewing. And I also love, as you describe some of those case studies and how those interviews go, the entire structure of the ways in which people answer those questions. And as someone who has been an executive director, been a development director, and done a lot of interim gigs, I cannot tell you how many people I've hired over the course of my career. Certainly more than 100, probably less than 250. Um, But I've not sat down to count the number of people I've hired. And I just see so many mistakes in the interview process. And then I also often see organizations that are not doing interviewing that well. So I thought maybe we could start and talk a little bit about tips on interviewing. Sure, absolutely. And again, a lot of this is things that I've learned from experience, both being the person being interviewed and then ultimately being the person on the other side of the table as well. And so first first things first, I think emotional intelligence is very critical to the interviewing process on both ends. Being able to recognize what kind of mood your interviewer is in. Some interviewers just want the facts. Some interviewers are a little bit more cordial and, and, and want to have more of a conversation. So get a feel for the interviewer. Try to build that rapport right off the bat. Probably hear this a lot, but eye contact, firm handshake, smile. Smile as much as you can because that, that, that'll help uh, allow your personality to shine through. I'd also, from a, more of a responding to questions standpoint, just making sure to take a, a brief moment to pause and actually take in the question and then think through, I always call it, I call it the STAR method, uh, situation, task, action, and results. So if you are answering a situational question, being able to recap the situation or task that you're supposed to accomplish, the specific actions that you actually fulfilled, and then what were your results or what was your impact? One of the other things I, I love that you talked about, and you talked about this um, in terms of reading your interviewer and playing off your of your interviewer is regardless of whether your interview is a, is just a just the facts person or you know really wants you to elaborate a lot what they're going to remember are your stories so you know so in your answers make sure that you are telling stories of actual situations that you may have found yourself in and then how you resolve that situation 
Thank you. And that's a very important point, too, is making sure that I'm going to do a plug for one of my all-time favorite books, Made to Stick, uh, which talks very heavily about how you make make yourself or an idea memorable. And uh, stories is a big part of that. The other thing that I loved, and I would actually encourage nonprofits to do this, because almost every single person walks into an interview and says, oh, I'm a people person. And I will share with you, I have never seen this in the nonprofit sector. I love the fact that this happens in the for-profit sector. You know, you talked about the fact that consulting candidates will first be kind of passed on to a host who will have a brief conversation with them. Can you say a little bit about how that works? Sure. So this really goes for any interview, I think, not just consulting. Your interview starts before you enter that door. And so making sure that you are putting your best foot forward to whoever the executive assistant is, to whoever the host is who's greeting you, before you even get into the the one-on-one interview or the group interview, everyone is kind of looking at you and assessing you as a candidate. And what they're ultimately thinking is, is this a team player? Is this someone I want to work with? Does this person conduct themselves the, the way they are in the interview? And are they authentic in the interview as well as outside of the interview? And we've actually, uh, I, I remember a couple situations actually where a candidate had a very strong interview and blew us all away. They told the stories, they, you know, positive impressions, they, they nailed the case interview. And then we walked out and we talked to our host and our host who was kind of greeting, greeting them and directing them said that person didn't give him or her the time of day and didn't really take the opportunity to sit down and talk with them and converse with them and kind of looked at them as almost like a, a low level employee. And, uh, that was enough for us to to not hire that person. Um, and we ended up going with another candidate who who had built that rapport with the host. And so being very mindful, your interview starts before you even step, set, in, uh, set foot into the interview. And you also talked about there's when a candidate is first greeted by a host, that oftentimes the very first question is, hey, what was your host's name? Very, yeah, very good point too. So making sure, and again, this is something for, for consulting or government, nonprofit, it's all about building, a lot of it's about building relationships. And so being able to make that personal connection with the host, with the executive assistant, with whomever is the person directing directing you to the interview shows that one, you're practicing active listening skills, two, that you are trying to build relationships, and three, that you're an authentic person willing to be a team player and not just looking to, to ace the interview. That's really what I loved is it really shows authenticity and that, you know, you like people and you remember people and you want to be a team player. And I will say, Evan, wow, this might seem small. That that actually is one of the takeaways that I got from your book. The next time I interview someone, I'm going to make sure that there's a host involved. And that is going to be my first question. Hey, by the way, you know, what was the first name of the person that just brought you back here? Great. Now, you also, I love you, I also love when you talk about interviewing, you give kind of, you translate common interview questions. And so I'm going to actually pull to the pages that where you do this. But for example, you know, we all get the question, tell me about yourself. Now, and what I love is you translate, okay, when someone says, tell me about yourself, here is really what the interview is look, what the interviewer is looking for. Or for example, the question, hey, why are you interested in working in our organization and not another organization? Once again, you translate those for us. So can you, just as a little bit of a tease, so you know people want to read the book, can you give a couple of examples and translate some of those common interview questions? Sure. So a big one that you'll get in consulting is why consulting? And so translating that, what they're really looking for is 
is this person, one, does this person understand what consulting is? Do they, do they, and this could be like, why, why nonprofit? Why government? Does this person actually understand the, the industry? Are they able to tell stories that show they're, they're passionate about the industry? Are they, are they doing research? Are they reading regular, are they reading news and other, other uh, media, mediums and modes of, uh, of information on, on those industries? And are they demonstrating skills and knowledge that suggest that, that, that this is something that they're passionate about? And so that question really kind of op- opens the door to, I look at that as the translation of what skills and knowledge do you want to share to show that you are interested in this industry? The, the tell me about yourself one is, is you almost always get some sort of variation of, of that on an interview. And so that's really kind of almost like your elevator pitch. And so being able to show in a clear, concise way, this is who I am. This is why this role is, is this is why I'm interviewing or applying for this role. And this is who you're going to get. It's a chance to, again, back to that word authentic, to show your authentic self and tell a story about who, who you are as a person and how you fit into that company. And, you know, one of the questions that I ask all the time, and by the way, you translated that question just perfectly. I ask almost every single candidate, hey, why do you want to work here instead of the American Red Cross or the Humane Society or whatever? And really, what I'm really asking is, have you done your research? Do you actually know who we are as an organization or do you not? And I'm often surprised how many people, you know, they have a sense of what we do because of the name, but otherwise they've not done their research. You know, they've not said, oh, well, I understand that you all are, you know, whatever. You all have leading practices in the following areas. I'm really excited about that. But I also understand that you all have had challenges in these other areas. And I really look forward to rolling up my sleeves. These are, these are the types of challenges I really like to work on. One of the most like effective, and I think I referenced this in the book, like interview stories that I came across was we're interviewing a candidate for uh, a department of defense opportunity. And we asked the candidate, well, you know, why are you interested in this role? And she highlighted, well, I don't have particular military service, but my brother is overseas and fighting in part of the military and being able to support the military in some capacity, that makes me feel like I'm helping my brother in some way and connect to my brother in some way. And so the way that she was able to build that personal connection in and show that it was part of her mission um, was extremely effective. And it was one of those things that stuck with us uh, after. So I also love you gave candidates a pro tip in this section on interviewing that I, that I think you've got to share. So you gave them a pro tip around when you as the candidate are given the opportunity to ask questions of the interviewer or the interviewing panel. And you said, you know, this is always a great time for you to bring up a white paper that you read at their website and ask some questions about that. Absolutely. And this, this gets to that. Are you naturally curious? Are you interested in the industry? Are you doing your research? And so if you're able to highlight something I, I you know I was reading in the news and I saw that you do some work for this particular client or you've partnered with this particular organization being able to tie that into your question shows it's it's a higher level question it shows that you're not just asking the the bare bones but it's also showing that you've done your research and you're able to have a more detailed conversation about that about that question and hopefully People love talking about themselves too. So hopefully you, you find someone who has a connection to that question, whether they wrote the right white paper, they knew the author of the white paper. It gives them a chance to connect with you and build a stronger relationship with you as well. And again, you know, to kind of tailor this for folks looking for work in the nonprofit sector, most nonprofits don't have white papers on their website, but they often do have a media or press 
tab where they put press releases up or they have a blog. And so, you know, to pull one of those press releases or blogs that really interest you. And when you're given the opportunity to ask questions, include that in your questions. Absolutely. And like, I'm on the board of a, a few nonprofits and again, like they, the blog post or even like sharing the personal stories of, of the people that they're helping and being able to tie that in. Like, have you interacted with this particular, I was reading on your website about this particular person and their journey using your services. Have you interacted or engaged with this person in any, any capacity? Being able to tie that in again, shows you've done your research it can, allows you the chance to show that personal and emotional connection to the organization, and it gives them the chance to show what their connection is to the organization and the, and the mission as well. And it shows your understanding of the mission. And I don't know about you, but from my perspective, whenever I'm a hiring manager, when someone is given the opportunity to ask questions and their only question is, well, what is your timeline for hiring? That's typically a bad sign for me. That raises a red flag too, because oftentimes it's, hey, uh, I have other opportunities or I'm I'm looking at to accept the first opportunity that comes my way. And so I would strongly caution you against that. Or maybe it's your last question after you've already established some credibility and shown that you've, you're interested, you're passionate, you've done your research, then it could be, hey, I'm interested in what the next steps look like. Or another good one is if, if I advance to the next round or if I'm ultimately hired, what are the expectations of me in my first 30, 60, 90 days so that you can show again or reiterate how you're actually meeting, you're, you're preparing to meet those expectations. Right. I love that. So if we can transition for just a minute and because I have to share with you all listeners, we have spent most of the time so far, probably on the first 50 or so pages of the book. So once again, this is a book you probably got to get to get the most out of it. But um, if we can maybe transition for just a moment and talk about frameworks, I love the fact you laid out, I think like six or seven or eight different frameworks for analyzing and planning around an issue, a problem, whatever. And part of what I love about that is so often, I think in the nonprofit sector, we don't necessarily as professionals have discipline about saying, okay, we have a problem. What framework are we going to use in figuring out how to resolve that problem? So can you share with us just a little bit about, about frameworks and why they're important? Sure. So frameworks oftentimes, uh, are customizable and, and scalable. And so they give us a, a structured way of approaching a problem or a business challenge. And uh, a couple that I recommend in the book, I recommend a few that are a bit more IT focused, a few that are a bit more human capital focused, and some that are more for your like strategy and operations. And again, why they're important is it gives you the chance to kind of walk through in like a structured way and begin to apply that structure to your business challenge. It'll probably illuminate some things for you, but it'll also open up some questions and allow you to identify, hey, you know what? We don't really know the answer to this, so we might want to dig a little bit deeper here or do a little bit more research here. Or I don't know the answer to this. I'm going to get someone to the table who does know the answer and can better help us you know, address this challenge or, or, or provide the information needed to solve the problem. And just so folks can kind of get a sense of what we're talking about in a very realistic visual way, can you give a couple examples of frameworks that you really like to use in situations in which you think that those frameworks work well? Sure. So I think as a uh, senior manager of change management, Acumen Solutions, uh, use a lot of frame frameworks uh, specifically around change management. And for those unfamiliar with, with that term, I mean, really anything 
a lot of uh, complex business challenges invoke change in some capacity. You've got to get people to change the way that they're, they're operating. You have to make sure you're communicating that change. You're, you want to make sure that you're providing people with the ability to change. And so a framework that I use in this book or, or recommend in this book is uh, John Cotter's Leading Change Framework. I knew you were going to say Cotter. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. That's right. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, there's another very popular framework for change management that I highly recommend as well. That's not referenced in this book. And it's called ADCAR, the ProSci ADCAR uh, framework. A lot of the elements kind of coalesce together. Essentially, what it's about is how you build awareness of the change, how you make sure people are desiring or motivated by the change, how you make sure you're implementing the processes and communicating in a way that provides them with the ability to change. And then how are you making sure that you're reinforcing that change throughout? So those those are two of my favorite frameworks. And I feel like those apply to government, nonprofit, public sector, public sector, private sector, whatever. And uh, any so much of what you do as a consultant is changed. So much of whatever industry you're in has to deal with change. And so those are two frameworks that I highly recommend. And honestly, if you are an executive or senior manager, or senior leader in a nonprofit, a lot of what you're doing is change as well. And, and personally, I, I love the Cotter leading change framework. It is such a good framework. Great. And again, I can't emphasize enough that as a consultant or whether in nonprofit or, or government, you are going to have to face change in some capacity. And so being able to have a structured way of looking at that change is very helpful, very powerful and helps you identify who are the people that we need to bring together to our team? What are the processes that we need to put in place? How do we manage resistance to that change? Because change is, is not easy. And uh, another, and, and how are we going to communicate that change throughout the entire process so that it's successful? Now, two-thirds of your book is really all about the case studies themselves. At least I think as I did the math, it was about two-thirds of your book. And so, listeners, if you love stories, you're going to love case studies. You might think that sounds dry and boring. If you love stories, you're going to love case studies because each of them in your book, Evan, kind of unfold as a story. So yeah, really what those uh, where those case studies came from was just doing a lot of reading on the industry, looking at uh, looking at resources, being on mailing lists. Uh, Nonprofit Quarterly is one that like I, I highly recommend. And being able to look at actual situations and I built and based on a number of those case studies off of real world problems and what those nonprofits or that government was trying to that, that government was trying to solve and how you as a consultant or as an employee and operating in that space would get you from point A to point B all the way to to the end goal. So is there and I'm actually going to write down the initials of the nonprofit I think you were talking about, but is there a favorite nonprofit case study in your book? So yeah, actually, there's uh, there's one. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was actually based on the New York Public Library, and one thing that they were looking to do was actually build greater capacity and making sure that they're attracting people to the library for more than just books. And so, being able to look at ways that they could make it more of a community center, to a training center, and a way for people to, to meet and engage. And so that was one that uh, immediately comes to mind. And San Francisco, actually, I think, uh, was also doing something similar with their public libraries, where I think they're actually even evaluating how to use it as uh, to, to potentially support the homeless population in San Francisco. 
So I got it wrong. I'm going to hold this up so you can see it. I thought <laughs> you were going to, because there's one in there that certainly seems like it's Teach for America. I, I know you did not name them, but it seemed like <laughs> Teach for America. So I thought that was the one you were going to say. <laughs> so I lived uh, Teach for America for four years, and uh, absolutely, you, you will see some some cases that might resemble Teach for America in there. Had a had a great experience with that program. Learned a lot. And if you're looking for a nonprofit that is very well run, just their emphasis on results, on impact, and on metrics. I will say over and over again, Teach for America and metrics. They are one, they they really emphasize the and really drive performance towards towards metrics. Nice. Well, Evan, I want to make sure that we leave just a few minutes to talk about the off the map question. Um, there is no way we're going to cover your incredible book, Case in Point, in just a 30 minute podcast. So we're going to move on to the off the map question. I walked in thinking I might ask you about Teach for America, but I've actually decided to ask you about something else. And I'm going to clearly show that I know nothing about sports because I think it might be sports related. So you're wearing a golf shirt today. And you've got a bulldog with a red bandana tied around its neck. Now, I'm assuming there's a story about that. So this is, you're doing great marketing for one of my friends. So this is a company called Zola. And it was actually started by a Georgetown alumnus. And it is the most comfortable golf shirt I've ever worn. And there's a social mission to it as well. Um, Part of the proceeds for each shirt goes to supporting rescue dogs. So love, love the shirt fits really well, super comfortable. Former classmate of mine, uh, developed the the business and then the social piece as well. So it's, uh, I'm happy to support them. That's awesome. I was thinking, did he go to University of Georgia? No, (laughs) I don't think Georgetown's mascot's a bulldog, although it might be. So I was really puzzled. So we will definitely link to Zola as well. So we'll buzz market your grad school colleague just a little bit more by uh, linking to Zola in our show notes as well. Great. I th- I'm sure they'll appreciate that. And I was wondering too, uh, I saw that you went to Georgia State. So I was wondering if you might uh, make the, see the bulldog and think of it as a, as a Georgia reference or not. And just, and just so you know, uh, Georgetown is their mascot is the Hoyas and they, uh, they actually have a bulldog as their mascot as well. Oh, okay. Because I was like, maybe, maybe it's because of Georgetown. Okay, got it. But so really it's a buddy of yours who has a company that makes amazingly comfortable shirts. And like I said, we're going to link to that to Zola on our show notes so that if you want to check out this shirt or you want to get one for yourself, you can. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. And so now you need to call your buddy up and be like, hey, you owe Evan one more shirt because I just <laughs> I just got some marketing for you. I think Dolph, I think you you might be getting a free shirt in the mail. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, Evan, I am just so grateful that you have joined us today on the podcast. You've provided some incredible information, both for nonprofit hiring managers about some ways they can maybe fine tune or sharpen their hiring process, as well as for candidates that are looking for work in the nonprofit sector. And all of us that work in the nonprofit sector at one point or another are looking for work. So really, this has just been so incredibly useful and helpful today. Now, Dear listener, if you heard Evan talking today and thought to yourself, dang, this is someone I need to get in touch with, you can find him on LinkedIn, and we're going to post that on our show notes. But the quickest way to learn more about his work would be to check out his book, Case in Point. It is available on Amazon. You can also find it at one of the websites, publicsectorcaseinterviewprep.com. Now, In addition to going to publicsectorcaseinterviewprep.com, I also suggest that you check out casequestions.com. 
Now, at either of these, he's got an active blog, and there's just some great material at this blo- at both blogs that you should really, really want to read. But one I want to point you to, and it's at publicsectorcaseinterviewprep.com, is a blog post titled, What is a Useful Framework for Benchmarking and Measuring in Case Interviews and Consulting Projects? So if your nonprofit is interested in benchmarking for best practices and figuring out how you're going to measure that and how you're going to work that, definitely read this blog. Now, in preparation for this interview... Evan also shared with me that they have 20 new blog posts that they are just about to release. And I think, Evan, you said that's going to be on a weekly basis, right? Yeah, we try to keep it on a uh, Tuesday-Thursday schedule. So Tuesdays for uh, case questions and then Thursdays for public sector case interview prep. That's awesome. So make sure you subscribe to the blog so that you can get each of these blog posts as they come out. Again, even if you're not interested in working for a consulting firm, it is going to be super helpful for you. Hey, Evan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And if you're ever in DC, I know you're on the road a lot. I would love to catch up in person. Awesome. Listeners, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life, but at successful nonprofits, I would hate to be liable for any motor vehicle accidents due to you trying to write Evan's information down as you drive. So to avoid traffic mishaps altogether, and maybe if it's against the law in your state to drive while distracted, you avoid getting a ticket, we have included all of Evan's information on our website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com, and it will be available for you there all the time, anytime. As I always say, I love connecting with other members of the nonprofit sector and always encourage you to reach out to me with questions, thoughts, or comments. I respond to every email. Sometimes it takes me a few days, but I do respond to every email, so keep them coming. If you enjoyed today's show, I also need you to do me a favor and hit the subscribe button on the podcast platform that you're using. And don't forget, right after you subscribe, give us a rating. And if you're beaming with positive energy, write a short review as well. Dear listeners, that is our show for this week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.